Man, everywhere you look on social media this week, all you see are football highlights. And, and there's, there, there are short little clips, no more than like maybe 15 or 30 seconds of a player making an incredible play. Or in the case of the Colts, Andrew Luck throwing a football. It's incredible. Football is getting closer. I know it's the middle of June. I know we're not really thinking about the football season yet. Then again, maybe we are because we're all here on the Pick 6 Podcast. Welcome in. I'm Dave Richard, Senior Fantasy Writer for CBS Sports. I'm joined by NFL writer John Breach. And, John, are you, are you feeling the football mojo? Are you are you getting excited like I am for, for at least training camp anyway? Dave, I'm definitely feeling the football mojo. You know, like I've been seeing all these holdouts this week. I almost thought about holding out the podcast. But I didn't, and I'm here, and I'm ready to roll. What could you possibly hold out for? Like a better microphone on your end or, you know, uh, <laughs> extra donuts in the morning? I'm not, I'm not sure what it is that you would want to hold out for. For me, I, I would hold out for the donuts. Definitely a donut. You know, a Starbucks gift card. you got to have coffee when you're podcasting. There's there's a couple things, you know. All right. I'll ask Eric, our producer, later on if, if he can hook us up with some Starbucks gift cards. Anyway, six big topics to talk about. Here on uh, the what, what day is it, John? It's Thursday. All right, so six big topics going on as we uh, as we move ahead here during, I guess, minicamp week because most of the teams are are doing minicamp right now. Let's talk about what the biggest minicamp storyline is. Is it the five holdouts from across the league? Is it the four players who have come back, or is it the Patriots drama? I know which one to me is the biggest minicamp storyline, the one I'm most intrigued by. John, you tell me which which one strikes you the most. You know, the Patriots thing is it seems like there's drama every offseason with that team. Uh, you know, it's like a soap opera, and they come back and they get high ratings every year. So that really doesn't concern me. And when you see players come back from injury, it's still early. They're not going full go. They're not in full patch for the most part having full practices. So I'm really interested with the holdouts, and the one that fascinates me the most is Julio Jones. You know, like, the guy has three years left on his contract, and he wants a new contract. You know, you have those other guys. You have Aaron Donald, Cleo Mack, uh, Earl Thomas. You have a lot of those guys that they have one year left on the deal. They want a new deal. That makes sense because, hey, your contract's going to expire. Aaron Donald, Cleo Mack have absolutely earned it, winning Defensive Player of the Year the last two years. But Julio Jones sitting out of – Mini camp just totally blows my mind. You know, like I don't understand. If this guy is upset with anyone, it should be his agent for you know signing him to a contract that is already looking bad after just three years. And last season was a good year for Julio. Pretty much every year is a good season for Julio, so long as he stays yeah. healthy. But I know that it was very important to Dan Quinn. Uh, he told me at the NFL owners meetings that Julio Jones participate in the full offseason program with the Falcons so that he's in rhythm with Matt Ryan by the time training camp goes, comes around. And then by the time the season starts, those two are, you know, best buds. I'm taking a look at his contract details right now. You can find them at overthecap.com. He's due, his cap number this year is 12.9 million, then 14.9 million, and then 11.4 million. By the time he's 31 years old, I agree with you, John. This is a this is a situation where he signed this deal. He's getting a lot of money. It's not as much as other wide receivers are getting around the league, and it it seems to be a little bit tilted toward the team. Not that they would cut him, but certainly the fact that his his salary cap number goes up and then it goes down quite a bit. 
I, I think it does benefit Atlanta. And, and if I were the Falcons, I wouldn't negotiate with them at all. I'd say, you want to hold out during minicamp? That's pretty much all the leverage you have. Be my guest. Yeah, and the other thing here is, you know, if I'm the Falcons, if I'm Thomas Mitroff, I'm, I'm giving Julio his contract. I'm saying, hey, look, man, you're a top six paid player in base salary for 2018. Your overall average annual salary from your contract three years ago is still top 10 in the NFL. Like, what do you want us to do, man? You want us to give you $25 million a year? Uh, so of all these holdouts, this Julio Jones one is just mind-boggling. And the other thing, like you were saying, Dan Quinn absolutely wants him in there because that was an offense that really was trying to get adjusted to Steve Sarkeesian uh, last season. And so now you have the full offseason with him, and Julio's not even there uh, to gel with everyone. So it's it's a little – from the Falcons, I would be a little frustrated with Julio and his agent, Jimmy Sexton. And, John, you could see it last year when they were playing that Matt Ryan just wasn't quite in perfect sync with Julio Jones. There were a bunch of passes – that went over Julio's head or just just wide of Julio. Julio also dropped passes throughout the year, dropped a big-time touchdown that would have helped the Falcons win a game during the second half of the season. Definitely. Game, yeah. yeah, that was the one. Um, I, I just I, I think Julio's making a mistake. I think he should be there. I think he should prove his worth again this year, have a big season, and then hold out next year. We'll see what happens. I, I'm, I'm excited about who's back, though. I like that Andrew Luck is throwing a football. I like that Deshaun Watson doesn't have his knee brace on. I like that Carson Wentz seems to be practicing with the team. I like that Odell Beckham is going through drills. But focusing specifically on Deshaun Watson, being a big part of this Texans offense right now after he tore his ACL last year, I I think it's almost changing my expectations for him. Now, he's entering his second season. He's, like I said, and everybody knows, coming off the ACL. And when he did play last year, mind-blowing, John. It, it was incredible how he would just move around, buy a little time, and then, bloop, big bomb down the field for, for big plays every single time. The fantasy universe was enamored with him. We were going crazy about Will Fuller. Uh, I think it obviously made an impact on DeAndre Hopkins and how defenses had to play, really, this whole Texans offense. I'm wondering what your expectations are, and I'm wondering if they're even close to mine because I think there's a chance here that he could contend for league MVP. Oh, absolutely. Like, if there's one player I'm excited about coming back, it is absolutely Deshaun Watson. I know you mentioned uh, Odell and Carson Wentz and Andrew Luck, but, you know, we just got a small taste of what Deshaun Watson can do. You know, it seems like every time you turned on the TV – and the Texans were playing while Watson was healthy, it was just fireworks all over the place. I mean, that Patriots-Texans game, uh, I think week three last year, was one of the just craziest games of the entire season. That was a game uh, the Patriots won 36-33. And then uh, the week after that, thanks to Sean Watson, they went out and put up 57 points on the Titans. The Titans were a playoff team. Uh, and then, obviously, he got injured in another crazy game against the Seahawks. It was just like there weren't enough words to describe what Deshaun Watson was doing on the field last year. And then you just saw the Texans offense completely go in the tank when Tom Savage had to come in. So I, I totally understand why everyone in fantasy world is excited about this, because this is going to completely change their offense. The one thing I love about Deshaun is that, you know, he brings an element, uh, you know, he's the team's third leading rusher last year and he only played in six games. Uh, so you, you, kind of put that over the course of the season, and that is just an element, obviously, Tom Savage. Tom Savage isn't running around. He's not going to be the Texans' third leading rusher ever, even if he played all 16 games. 
So Sean Watson is just a fun player to watch. And if he is healthy for all 16 games this year, that's a guy I should probably be looking at, you know, drafting in the first round of my fantasy draft, right, Dave? Oh, I don't know. I I don't know. Well, you know, there are so many quarterbacks out there, and we talk about this all the time on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, that you can wait on the position. And in our draft, John, there aren't quarterbacks getting taken, period, until at least round three. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I I think we're we're at a point right now where there's maybe 16, 17 quarterbacks that people would feel good about going into week one as their starter. So there's no rush to go and get one of them. But – if there was one that had potential to put up huge points week in and week out, it would be Deshaun Watson. There are going to be those people who who grab the brass ring, try and and just go try to win a championship, basically is what I'm trying to say, knowing that Deshaun Watson has a chance to give you 30 points per week or more as, as a fantasy quarterback. Speaking of 30 points per week, the Texans, their five games, their last five games with Deshaun Watson, 33 points against the Patriots, 57 on Tennessee, like you said, 34 against the Chiefs, 33 against the Browns, 38 at Seattle. So, I, I, I mean, there there isn't a chance in the world that the Houston Texans are going to say, "No, let's we're, we're going to let's get conservative a little bit and let's lean on Lamar Miller and Deontay Foreman." Let's. It's not going to happen. So, when you talk about potential MVP candidates and guys that are going to put up a slew of numbers this year. It comes down to Deshaun Watson staying healthy, and if he can do it, I think he'll be outstanding. Let's move on to another exciting quarterback in Baltimore. The Ravens say they are in awe of Lamar Jackson. He's been lining up all over the field. They've been using multiple quarterback sets. John Harbaugh told the media on Tuesday that they plan on making him fully active on game day and that Jackson's going to be part of their game plan. So this is this is exciting not necessarily for fantasy owners as much as it is for just football fans who could see something very unique in Baltimore this year. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what the crazy thing is, is that if I'm, I love this. Like I think Lamar Jackson should be on the field. He absolutely should be on the active roster for every game. The Ravens play this season, Gonna happen. but I would be a little concerned about, uh, you know, the chemistry factor. It feels like when Lamar Jackson was drafted in the first round, you know, Joe Flacco didn't seem very excited about it. He totally snubbed the reporter walking out uh, of a draft show that was in Baltimore. Uh, and so to put them on the field, it feels like you're putting a little bit more pressure on Joe Flacco, which is good because he hasn't been producing the last few years. Uh, so I love the idea in theory, but, you know, there's also the chance that this thing absolutely blows up in their face because – you know, Joe Flacco might not be happy that he has this quarterback breathing down his neck and they're making packages for him. Uh, so I think it's going to be an interesting situation in Baltimore. Winning solves everything. If if this works for the Ravens and they they come out of their first four games against the Bills, the Bengals, the Broncos, the Steelers, if they come out of their 3-1 and one or 4-0, and oh, shoot for the moon here, I think that there's a chance that Flacco will, will put a happy face on this. I'm sure Joe Flacco will end up taking – I mean, honestly, 90% of the snaps under center and maybe just a few here and there for Lamar Jackson and a couple of gadget plays otherwise. I don't see this as being a a thing where, okay, when we get inside the red zone, we're going to change quarterbacks and we're going to go with this completely different offense with completely different signal callers and let's see what happens because that's definitely not going to work. They need some consistency. I I, 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 I was just going to say I don't see that either, but if they were to start like one and three – then maybe you know, will people start yelling for Lamar? They might start yelling for Lamar if they go one and three, but 
their bye doesn't come till week 10. So if they get through week nine and they're two and seven, maybe that's when you see Lamar Jackson take over because I, I don't think that, I don't think that John Harbaugh's got the stones to be that disrespectful <laughs> to Joe Flacco, where after four games they say, all right, quick hook, you're out, Mr. Not Elite, and let's put in Lamar Jackson. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if in his quietest of moments, John Harbaugh is sitting around maybe having a snack and thinking to himself, I don't think I'd be that disappointed if Joe Flacco got hurt. Yeah, which, which is almost horrible to say. And yeah, oh, I feel bad for after... saying it. <laughs> And for the poor Ravens fans, after four years of watching the meh, bleh, you know, Joe Flacco Ravens offense, which, you know, is the opposite of Deshaun Watson running the Texans, just boring. You always know what they're going to do. You know, maybe they want a little spark with Lamar Jackson coming in. So I just think if the Ravens get off to a rough start, uh, it's just there's going to be some pressure to put Lamar Jackson there, especially when he's already active and they already have planned packages for him. And if I could just put – and this is – Kind of a non sequitur, but just just something to put in everybody's mind because we all love football here on the Pick Six podcast. I think that we're on the precipice of some really creative offense uh, this year, and when we started to see it a lot last year with the Rams and what they did, with the Eagles and what they did, including obviously the Philly special in the Super Bowl, and 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 I think we're going to see. I think Baltimore has the impetus to get really creative now with Lamar Jackson. I think Chicago could get very creative now that Matt Nagy's there. I think Tennessee could get creative with Matt LaFleur calling the plays. And, of course, a lot of other teams with some fresh-thinking play callers and head coaches could certainly start doing some more fun things. And and I can't wait for it. I'm expecting to see some unique plays and some unique things on the field this year. And this is just an example of it. And, and Baltimore using Lamar Jackson, maybe he lines up as a receiver. He runs in motion before the snap. He he gets the snap directly, or maybe he gets a little flip pass from Flacco, and then he throws downfield. I think we're going to see a lot of creative stuff this year and in the years to come, and it's a great time to be a football fan. Speaking of creativity, and when you think creativity, you don't think Buffalo Bills, but they're they're finding a way to get Josh Allen, their their number one draft pick, and certainly their quarterback of the future involved during their mini camp. He's been taking first team reps. Now they signed AJ McCarron. I don't think that that's much competition for Josh Allen. John, I'm going to throw this to you. Would you be shocked if Allen was the week one starter? For the Buffalo Bills. I would be 0% shocked, David. Here's the thing is that I grew up a Bengals fan. The Bengals are the team I always have my pulse. I know we're talking about the Bills, but this is going to lead to an A.J. McCarron issue. The Bengals are the team that probably have the closest pulse on, know what's going on. You have A.J. McCarron, who spent multiple years in Cincinnati, could not beat out Andy Dalton. It's not like the Bengals were keeping him on the bench because he's horrible. If he was... Head and shoulders, he was better than Andy Dalton. He would have started. So, you know, he couldn't. So now you have Josh Allen trying to beat out this quarterback who couldn't beat out Andy Dalton. And hopefully that didn't sound too confusing. So I absolutely <laughs> think that if Josh Allen is just a slightly above average quarterback and, you know, according to Sean McCoy, a guy looks like a pro bowler already, uh, he's going to win the starting job if he's just slightly above average. And so far, that seems to be the word out of Bill's minicamp and OTAs is that he it does look good. He looks great. So I do think he is going to win this starting job, and A.J. McCarron is going to go from 
being on the bench in Cincinnati to being on the bench in Buffalo. Here's the quote from LaShawn McCoy that you referenced. Quote, I've got to be honest, he's pretty good, and I'm not a big fan of rookies. A lot of guys as rookies, they're not like him. He's good, he's smart, he has to learn, of course. He throws some passes that probably shouldn't have been thrown. But other than that, he has a strong arm, he's very intelligent, he's too smart, I tell him sometimes. Too smart, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing for a quarterback. But certainly making passes that you shouldn't throw, that's kind of been Josh Allen's calling card. I remember during the draft process what everybody talked about with Josh Allen is, yeah, sure, he's, he's got big size and he's got a big arm, but he was inaccurate. He couldn't complete even 60% of his passes going back to his high school days. They think that mechanics can fix that. Maybe that's what's cooking right now in Orchard Park, John, is that they the coaches are getting with him. They're getting him to change his technique a little bit. And it, it's it's turning out that he's a better football player than he was at Wyoming. Or the Bills are like, you know what, let's just embrace this. We're not going to have him throw any pass further than five yards downfield during minicamp so that everybody thinks he looks good. You know, you, you can kind of play to someone's strengths, see what their weaknesses are, and then try and improve that as they get ready for training camp, and which is like six weeks away. That's kind of crazy. It is. Well, the problem is, is that if they do that in minicamp, and that's all he's doing in minicamp, then I don't know how prepared he'll be for training camp, and then he'll look sloppy in those preseason games, and then everybody's going to say, everybody that talked against Josh Allen is going to say, ah, oh, we told you so, Josh Allen isn't a good quarterback, nah, 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 boo, boo. And I, I was team Josh Allen in the draft process, but the second he got picked by Buffalo, I kind of went, ew, like, I, I don't know if that's a spot where I think Josh Allen can thrive because they don't have a lot of great receivers. They don't even have a lot of good receivers. The offensive line, humongous question mark, if you ask me. Three-fifths of the line is brand new. And LaShawn McCoy is a, has been a great running back throughout his career, but now he's on the wrong side of 30. He's got a ton of work on him. I'm nervous about LaShawn being a, a good, solid bell cow again this year, and I'm nervous about Josh Allen um, looking like – Deshaun Watson, which, I mean, that's kind of crazy to say, so maybe throw that up. But, you know, insert rookie quarterback who did well in his first season here. You know, I, he could be yeah. more Jared Goff first year than Jared Goff second year. And, and you know, one thing I, that would give me some slight hesitation if I'm the Bills about giving Josh Allen a starting job is that you don't want a quarterback, a rookie quarterback, just go in there and fall flat on their face. And the Bills' opening schedule just kind of – it's brutal. It reads that way. You it's have three brutal. or four games on the road. The Vikings and the Packers on the road. It is just a nightmare schedule, especially if you're a team that is going to be starting a rookie quarterback. I'm glad you brought up the schedule because your latest story on CBS Sports uh, is about uh, the AFC East and their strength of schedule, but it's not done the way that the strength of schedule used to be. Because back in the day when people didn't think, they just took the records of all the teams from the previous year they, they plugged it in, they figured out what the cumulative one-loss record is, and then they ranked the strength of schedule based on that. It's totally lame to do it that way. I have my own process for going through strength of schedule, and I know you do too. You went through the AFC East, and you ranked all the teams in the AFC East uh, based on how you believe. Well, actually, why don't you tell us how you came up with, with your formula? Well, you use a lot of Vegas odds because, uh, you know, the guys in Vegas, they, they, that, that city was built on money won from peons. So they seem to know what they're talking about. 
Uh, you know, and that can be Super Bowl odds, that can be over-unders, that can be the point spread from the game and win-loss for the entire season over-unders. Uh, and there's also other factors where you just talked about strength of schedule. Uh, you know, a lot of these teams in the AFC East have a very similar strength of schedule because they play nearly all the same games. You know, the Jets and the Bills have 12 identical games, uh, you know, and, and the Bills, one team, they're playing the Vikings and the Packers on the road in consecutive weeks, which is horrible. Whereas you look at a team like the Jets, well, they get the Vikings and the Packers at home, which is still difficult. But I think if you had a choice, you would rather play those two teams at home if you had to play them. So you just kind of factor in all those little nuances and you look at, who has the most difficult schedule? And it's it's the Bills. And it's the Bills by a mile. You know, and that opening margin with at Baltimore, the Chargers, at Minnesota, at Green Bay is just – I don't know that any team could walk out of those first four games 4-0. Any team in the NFL. I don't know the Patriots would go 4-0 they, I don't think they would. that opening slate. Nope. Yeah, and so you put the Bills there, and, and you know, maybe you're looking at 2-2, two and two, and that's optimistic. Well, 2-2? Two and two. Show me where one win is. <laughs> I'm serious. Show me where one win is in those first four games. Uh, you know, maybe you get the Chargers a little rusty off the plane after uh, a five-hour flight from L.A. to Buffalo. But, yeah, two okay, two and two is the high end of optimism. One and three is almost best-case scenario. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that it looks – it feels a lot like 0 and 4, but, you know, who knows? Maybe Josh Allen turns into Tom Brady. Uh, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't think that that's, I don't think he's going to turn into Tom Brady anytime soon, but, uh, it, it's going to be interesting. And that's just, to me, that's a reason why they shouldn't start Josh Allen right away. Because you look at those first four games. If, if we're talking about one and three being the best case scenario, why would you put your rookie out there wide eyed and nervous against those defenses to begin the season? I don't think they can do it. I think I think those games reek of A.J. McCarron being fed to the Wolves, and then when that's done, week five at home against Tennessee, hey, maybe that's a good time to put Josh Allen on the field where maybe he's a little less nervous and certainly the matchup is is better for him. Yeah, and you don't want to kill the guy's confidence exactly. uh, in those first four weeks. Even if you're a rookie, even if you feel comfortable – and like you were saying, the Bills are replacing three offensive linemen, so you're basically throwing him out to the Wolves, and that is a good way to kill a dude's confidence and get him torn up and never want to play football again. So maybe, yeah, like you just said, hold off till week five. Uh, and real quick on the AFC East strength of schedule is that it seems to happen every year, but again, even with this formula I have, is the Patriots have the easiest schedule. And so I know I feel like that is the number one complaint. You go on Twitter, you go on, since the internet has existed, the number one schedule complaint is why do the Patriots always have the easiest schedule? And you know, you look at the Jets, Dolphins, and Bills. Well, they all have to pay the Patriots twice. The that's Patriots why. don't have to play themselves, so that's going to make their schedule a lot easier. But you know, again, all this Patriots trauma doesn't mean anything because their schedule, just looking at it, seems like a lock for ten wins. And it's only going to go up from there. All right. So give me your rundown. You've got the Patriots first. You've got the Bills last. Who's second and who's third? Because I want to compare your order to my order. The Bills have the toughest. Dolphins, second toughest. 
then the Jets, and then the Patriots easiest. We almost have it exactly the same way. Now, I do I do something very different. I go through the personnel, uh, the defensive personnel for all 32 teams. I grade their pass rush unit. I grade their run defense unit. I grade their pass coverage unit. Uh, I come up with a cumulative grade for the defenses in, in general. But really, the grades that matter are the three that I told you about. And then I rank the rank a team schedule plugging in those grades for the defenses that they play. So, for example, for the Patriots, part of their cumulative number for ranking their defense is based on the low grades that I've given the Bills defense, the Jets defense, and the Dolphins defense. So I do that for all 32 teams, and I, 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 I tweak it just a little bit for teams that might play three games in a row on the road or they, they play multiple games against teams coming off of a bye. I don't necessarily do it for road trips or, you know, the Thursday night game I kind of throw out because just about everybody has one of those. But my order is the Patriots, Dolphins, Jets, Bills, and I've got the Jets and Bills back-to-back, but I've got all four of them with top ten defensive schedules. That's overall, not necessarily versus the runner versus the pass. But uh, I, I think that the AFC East actually lucked out just in general with the schedule. The fact that they're going to go up against you, – you mentioned the Vikings and the Packers. They also get to play the Bears and the Lions. And I don't think those defenses right. are, are necessarily difficult. You've got the AFC South. I think the Colts' defense is a total joke. Uh, Houston's defense should be good. Tennessee's defense should be okay. Jacksonville's we know and can expect to be good. But by comparison to a lot of other schedules around the league, yeah, I think everybody in the AFC East is, is going to have a, a, a decent schedule overall. Now, Buffalo's got it bad at the beginning, and the Patriots certainly have it good all the way around. The Patriots have the second easiest schedule, according to my rankings, behind only Jacksonville this year. And, and, and I think New England, obviously they're going to cakewalk their way to another division title, but I, I, I'm, I'm thinking they might be able to get to 13 wins. We had our producer, Eric DiBerdinas, get the Vegas win totals for the teams in the AFC East. Patriots are at 11 and a half. I would obviously take the over on that. Would you, John? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. that is easy. All right. Jets and Dolphins are both at six. Would you would you lean over or under on those? If I gave you a hundred bucks to place on each of those, and you had to take the back, I would probably go under on the Jets, and only because I feel like they do want to get Sam Darnold in there. He might end up being the team starter, uh, and if he does start the opening games, it's kind of the same issue that Josh Allen will have in Buffalo, where you have three of the first four on the road. Conceivably, you could see them going zero and four there, and then you know the wheels fall off the wagon it's tough to get the six wins but i do think the dolphins will get to eight or nine wins so i think they're going to go well over i'd be i'd be pretty comfortable taking the dolphins over we talk about how fly to vegas we talk about that one on my own sure sorry to cut you off there uh we talk (laughs) about the dolphins or the bills having a tough schedule here's the dolphins first three games home against tennessee at the jets and then home against oakland could the Dolphins begin the year 3-0? and Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing. That's why I love the Dolphins over is that you take out that Patriots game, then they have the Bengals, Bears, and Lions. You're so, right. I mean, it's not inconceivable that they're 6-1 and one, uh, after seven weeks. I mean, that probably isn't going to happen, but it's completely within the realm of possibility. Okay, so you're with me uh, on the over for the Dolphins. Last but not least, Buffalo. Let's hit on it. 
Six and a half. I don't know. I don't know what they did to deserve the extra half that the Dolphins and the Jets uh, don't have. But I, I would, I, if you gave me a hundred bucks to bet on this, I would take your hundred. I would steal a hundred from producer Eric DiBerardinis. I would go to the bank, take out a loan for like fifty thousand dollars, and put it all on the <laughs> under. I don't think there's any chance Buffalo's winning seven games this year. I'm guessing they got the pity half win for uh, getting to the playoffs last season, ending that postseason drought, because there is no reason that their win-loss total should be higher than Miami's or New York's. And we definitely agree on this one. The under just feels like a lock. So you take your 50000 I'm going to go take a bank loan for 50000 and now that's a hundred grand on the Bills going under the 6.5, which is good because even if they get that six win, you still win the bet, and, you know, it's feasible. They go 6-10, and 10, but I have a hard time seeing Buffalo jumping over that six-win mark. John, how are you going to celebrate your, your winning of $50,000? Well, first I'm going to buy some Starbucks gift cards so I can drink coffee <laughs> and then, uh, you know, take, take a nice vacation since we only get about, you know, you covered the NFL, I covered the NFL. There's only about a, a six-day window. I don't know how Brinson – worked a 41-day vacation as a six-day window, but it's so small where you can take a vacation and nothing's going on. We, our time's really limited about when we can, you know, go out and enjoy a vacation. So that's what I would do with, with the winnings. I was, I was going to get some buffalo wings to celebrate the buffalo collapse and my success and get buffalo wings. And by the way, how did Brinson get this big <laughs> vacation? He took the over on Buffalo's wins last year and he put 50,000 on it. So now he's getting himself a nice, great vacation. All right. Let's talk about the he's most brilliant man. Let's talk about the most pressing quarterback issue happening in the NFL right now. No, it's not Andrew Luck. It's not Deshaun Watson. It's not Carson Wentz. It's not Aaron Rodgers. It's Christian Hackenberg. And that's going to be the last time you hear Christian Hackenberg's name in the same sentence as all those other quarterbacks because he has been cut by the Raiders after Oakland acquired him for a conditional seventh-round pick from the Jets. He is now out of the NFL. After being a second-round pick, I, I don't know if I can remember a pick being taken this high at any position, much less a quarterback, who's out of the NFL this soon. What's your take on this? What's, what's your read, John? Well, real quick, I remember the last one, I think only because it was a Cincinnati Bengals draft pick, and it was Kenny Irons. Uh, I remember Kenny. Took him this yeah, Kenny had some uh I mean, people liked him. He was he was going to be a big star in Cincinnati. I think they took him in the 6th round of maybe the 2007 draft and then I don't think he ever played. So, I know the feeling, but with Hackenberg, this is going to sound crazy because no one should ever feel sorry for a dude that was drafted in the 2nd round of the NFL draft. He made some money. It's not like he's leaving the league broke, but I feel sorry for him. It's like this was a pick that was universally panned when the Jets made it. This was, there wasn't anybody who said, you know, hey, Christian Hackenberg is going to be a multi-time pro bowler and he's going to lead the Jets to a Super Bowl. I think most people thought they reached for him. It's not his fault that the Jets took him three rounds too early. Uh, and so now you have all that added pressure. It was going to be almost impossible for him to live up to it. And now here we are two years later and he is out of the NFL. Right, and I don't think he's coming back into the NFL either. There was a really interesting tweet. This is an eye-opening tweet for those that don't know Christian Hackenberg's 
life story, which is probably most of you. This comes from Sports Illustrator's Robert Klemko. Here's the tweet. The Hackenberg career arc is demonstrative of a big reason for weak quarterback play in the NFL. More so than any other position, quarterback at the youth level is specialized to the extent that wealth slash resources are more important than the actual traits required to thrive, such as mental acuity and composure. And, I, you know, I've got a son who plays sports, and we don't spend a ton of money on him to play sports. He just does it for the, for the love of the game, and he plays in rec leagues. But there are parents out there who spend a lot of money on their kids, and they get them in these camps, and they get them on these – you know, in the case of football, seven-on-seven teams, flag football leagues, tackle leagues, they just load them up. And the the kid ends up getting such a reputation from being involved in all these high-profile leagues and programs that they, they, they get into positions where they really aren't as good as they are, yet they're still, in the case of Hackenberg, going to Penn State and getting the chance to play at a, in a major college program when maybe they don't deserve it, but because the money was spent and their, their the kid's name was out there, they get that opportunity. Yeah, it's absolutely a weird situation because it, and it takes out from people who are maybe are players who are maybe more qualified, especially in the high school and college ranks, who don't get that opportunity because they don't have, you know, their dad shelling out thousands of dollars to take them to every football camp in the entire country. It's uh it's definitely it's definitely eye opening and I'm wondering just how many listeners to the Pick Six podcast have kids who um they want to have become a great football star or maybe a different sport, baseball, basketball. Um and I I I just hope that they remember that the kids are kids and don't do anything that the kid doesn't want to do. Don't force the kid to be in some type of league or event that he doesn't want to be in. Make sure that he's studying, of course. You got to make your kids well-rounded. And if if they're truly genuine um, talents at whatever sport they play, then the cream will eventually rise to the top. And you don't have to just, yeah. you know, dole out cash for uh, for your child who could eventually be in a situation where he's set up to fail, which is exactly what happened to Christian Hackenberg in the National Football League. You can follow John on Twitter at John Breach, B-R-E-E-C-H. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Pick6Pod. John, I'm looking forward to the rest of your schedule breakdowns, and uh, we're going to have to compare notes on this. And combined, uh, we should be able to have a good grasp on which teams have good schedules, which team have bad schedules, and which teams we should sink $50,000 on in Vegas to, uh, to you know, win those big-time vacations. Absolutely. We are going to be on a roll. And I'm going to give a shout out to the fantasy podcast that Dave does because I listened to that last off season and in 2017 won my fantasy league for the first time. The quarterback advice, I generally was drafting a quarterback in the first or second round. Last season, drafted one in the third round. I ended up with Tom Brady because everybody gave up on the 40-year-old guy uh, and just ran rough shot through my fantasy league. And I'm going to use that money to bet on the Bills under. There you go. That's excellent. And I'm very happy to have helped you out with that, John. And uh, looking forward to giving you more great fantasy advice on the Fantasy Football Podcast, which you can download and subscribe anywhere podcasts are found, probably the exact same way you did with this one. All right, that's going to put a wrap on Thursday's edition of the Pick 6 Podcast. For John Breach and producer Eric DeBerardinas, I'm Dave Richard. Thanks for coming out.